0: 15 through 21, we'll read those passages in your hearing and before you are seated, I feel such an overwhelming expression of his presence here in this place today. Before I read, can I ask you a question? Well, you know I'm going to, but I'm going to. And this is just a question I want you to ponder. Have we lost our passion for the things of God? Have we lost our passion for the things of God? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21, after we read and pray, then I'll ask you a couple more questions. Paul writes, See then that you walk circumspectly, that means carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's all say that together. Understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Everybody say that. Be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing... And making melody in our heart to the lord giving thanks always for all things to god the father in the name of our lord jesus christ submitting to one another in the fear of god shall we bow our heads in prayer heavenly father i thank you for your presence that is so overwhelming and so real and so magnificent in this place today i thank you for each one that has invested their time to come out here this morning and to worship with us and to exalt your name and praise and adoration. I thank you for this opportunity this morning that we have to stand before you and this congregation as an instrument and a vessel for the bringing forth of your word. I ask you, Lord, to use me, use this vessel, use these lips and this mind as we bring forth your word today, knowing each one to receive and we'll we'll give you the thanks and the praise for it all. It's in Jesus' name we ask it. And everyone said, amen. "Amen," and you may be seated. Could it be possible that we have lost our first love? Could it be that we have somehow lost the passion and the enthusiasm that we may have once experienced in our relationship? with Jesus Christ and I simply impose these to you as a question at this point we need to understand as I minister a little bit this morning about have we lost our passion titling this in the form of a question we it's important to understand that terms like passion and fervor and ardor and enthusiasm and zeal all share similar meanings They're almost interchangeable or synonymous words. Not quite, but almost. And today as we ask this question and we consider the possibility, have we really lost our passion? I have a a tremendous appreciation and respect for those that do what they do out of love and passion for what they're doing, whether it be an athlete uh, playing a particular sport, I I expect nothing less for them to do it with their whole heart and passionately and giving their all. Whether it's a musician or whether it's whatever the case might be, uh, I have an immense respect for those who do it with passion, with enthusiasm, with excitement, and really loving and appreciating what they are doing. I take your attention this morning to the Uh, epistle of Paul to the church at Ephesus, and I want to share with you a little background regarding Ephesus and the ministry of Paul to this church as it will set the stage for the final few questions I want to inject into your thoughts here this morning. You see, Ephesus as a city was a principal port, and it uh, is situated on the west coast of Asia Minor, and and it's situated near the present-day Ismar. Uh, it was one of the seven churches to whom Jesus addressed his letter, his letters to in Revelations chapter 2 and chapter 3, uh, which, by the way, is a relevant fact for studying this epistle. We need to always bear in mind and go there and take a look as well. It was originally circulated to approximately the same group of churches as the letters from the Apostle John in Revelations was circulated among them. Although Paul had been in Ephesus earlier, He first came to minister there in the winter of about A.D. 55, not that that date has a lot to do with uh, what we're going to talk about this morning, but just for a little brief history. And he ministered there for two full years, developing such a deep relationship with the with the Ephesian church that his farewell message to them is one of the Bible's most moving scenes and passages, and you will find that recorded in the book of Acts if you would like to go check that out at a later time. Now, it's important to understand that the, the the letter to the Ephesians unveils the mystery of the church as no other epistle that we have recorded within the, within the binds of our Bible. Uh, it's God's secret intention and it's revealed. Here Paul reveals what God's intentions are for the church, if you will. Uh, to form a body, to express Christ's fullness here on earth. That's what we are all about, to express Christ's fullness here on the earth. Amen? To do this by you 91 people, both Jew and Gentile, is revealed as well in the book of Ephesians. Among whom God himself dwells. Aren't you glad he dwells among his people? And he also reveals that he is to equip and to empower and mature this people that we are to the end. That they extend Christ's victory over evil. That is also another part of our purpose here on the earth and that is to extend Christ's victory over evil. Amen. The probing message of Ephesians is to the praise of God's glory. That's the overwhelming, the probing message of of the book of Ephesians is the pra- to, to the praise of his glory. The word glory occurs eight times and it refers to the exceeding excellence of God's love, Amen. His wisdom and His power also are uh, uh, refers to those as well. You see, the magnificent goal is Jesus, or, or I should say, the magnificent goal is Jesus's announced commitment to build a glorious, to build a mature and a ministering church, not having spot and not having wrinkle. You see, Ephesians unfolds the process by which God is bringing the church to its destined purpose in Jesus Christ. Basic maturing steps are taken towards the church's appointed engagement in battle with dark powers. First of all, before the church is called to war, the church is taught to walk. Amen? And before the, we, or before being called to walk, the church is taught where she stands and and, then the epistle here divides into basically two particular sections first of all the believers position and then the believers practice you see the recurrent term in christ sums up the christian position we are to be in christ jesus amen and it sums up our position as having been given every spiritual blessing In fact, several of these blessings are enumerated throughout Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. He talks about the church being chosen. He talks about the church being blameless. He talks about the church being adopted and accepted and forgiven and predestined. And he also talks about the church sealed. Amen? And with sweeping strokes of his pen, this foundational series of statements moves to a bold new assertion that is declared in Paul's first of two prayers in this letter. First of all, he prays that each born-again believer, each Christian may perceive God's grand purpose in raising Jesus Christ to triumph. That now the church may know Christ's victorious fullness as we, res- as we resist evil and face life's particular trials. Amen. Amen. This letter describes how God's grace has formed a united people among whom he can dwell in fullness and glory. A united people where he can dwell in fullness and in glory. Everyone still with me, right? Through this people, or through his church, his high purpose is to be unveiled. Amen. His high purpose is to be unveiled. And truly grasping the message of Ephesians requires understanding two words. One of which is dispensation. At one time or another you have all heard that we are living within the realm of the dispensation of grace. And also the other word is mystery. You see the apostle Paul declared that God's secret in planning the church is no longer hidden. The mystery has been revealed and it's been unveiled, and it has now been made known. You see, God has designed the church to administer, stay with me now, or to dispense Jesus Christ's fullness everywhere, ministering as a living body spreading over the entire earth, even to the penetration of the heavenlies. Amen. Amen? You see, God's manifold wisdom now demonstrates His glory in the church. A manifestation that eventually will ensue in the believers' strengthening, maturing, confrontation, and victory. He designed this to be a glorious church. Paul emphasizes that numerous times throughout his writing to the church at Ephesus. Now understand that the great call to walk worthy of the calling introduces this letter's second portion. We notice that systematically, Paul presents the ethical and moral implications of a spirit-filled living. The maturing process of the believer's equipping and the appeal to help each other forward, speaking the truth in love, will bring growth in the disciplines essential to the triumphant spiritual warrior's life. I don't know about you, but I want to be triumphant. And we can do that. Through the word of the Lord and through this presence of God that Paul speaks of here within this book we know as Ephesians. Have we really lost our passion? Have we lost our first love? Have we let the grandeur and the enthusiasm and the excitement and the joy of who God is and his presence in our life slip through our fingers and slip away from us? In short, Ephesians di- discloses awesome blessings of grace where Paul says that we are accepted in the beloved. And also an awesome dimensions of spiritual authority over evil where Paul says, according to the power that works in us. According to the power that works in us. But please understand, this awaits the believers first accepting the disciplines of unity and purity and forgiveness and Walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We can't expect to have things according to the power that works, that's working within us until we understand unity and purity and forgiveness and walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. With this, we understand that relationships at every point must be in order. Brother David mentioned that a little bit this morning. The idea of being firmly established that true spiritual power flows from true obedience to the, to the divine order in relationships and personal conduct. Amen. Amen. Now that I got through all of that, we get to the good stuff. By many Bible scholars, Ephesians has been called the Alps of the New Testament. The pinnacle, if you will, the, the Alps, the Grand Canyon of Scripture or the Royal Capstone of the Epistles. Not only because of its grand theme, but because of the majesty of Jesus Christ revealed herein. Here is how Jesus Christ has been revealed in this letter that Paul penned to the church at Ephesus and is applicable for you and I today. He pins Him as the Redeemer, the one in whom and by whom history will ultimately be consummated. And He is the resurrected Lord who not only has risen over death and hell, but who reigns as king, pouring his life through his body. That's you and I, the church of the living God. The present expression of himself on, on earth is the church of Jesus Christ. That's you and I. We are his expression to the world. What kind of expression are we? Have we lost our passion? Are we of an expression of enthusiasm and excitement and joy when we even mention the things concerning the Lord and His presence in our life? Amen. He is the peacemaker who has reconciled man to God and who makes possible reconciliation of man to man as well. And He is the chief cornerstone of the new temple consisting of His own people to be indwelt by God Himself. Paul also points out that he is the treasure in whom life's unsearchable riches are found. Amen. Are you still with me? And he is the indweller of human hearts, securing us in the love of God. You see, Jesus is the giver of ministry gifts to his church. And he is the victor who has broken hell's ability to keep humankind captive. I said he is the victor who has broken hell's ability to keep humankind captive. He is the model husband unselfishly giving himself to enhance his bride, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lord, mighty in battle, the resource of strength for his own as they arm for spiritual warfare. Amen. Amen. As with Jesus Christ... As Paul reveals him throughout this epistle, he also speaks of the works of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is revealed in widely varied ministry to and through the believer. The Holy Spirit is the sealer authorizing the believer to represent Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the revealer, if you will, enlightening the heart to perceive God's purpose. He is the empowerer whom Jesus Christ gives to strengthen within he is the spirit of unity desiring to sustain the bond of peace in the body of Christ. Aren't you glad today for his presence? He is the spirit of holiness who may be grieved by insistence on carnal pursuits. He is the fountain from which are all, which all are to be continuously filled. Amen. He is the giver of the word as a sword for battle and the heavenly assistance given to aid us in prayer and intercession until victory is won. These are just a few of the things that Paul reveals in his letter to the church at Ephesus and to you and I today about Jesus Christ and his mission and his power and what he wants to do through the church of Jesus Christ. And I would simply have to ask again, how can we not be enthused and passionate about a God who loves us so much and has provided the means in which we can have life and have it more abundantly? I suppose that many of you like myself would think that a church such as the church at Ephesus with this kind of a background, with this kind of teaching Paul spent two years there, the apostle to the Gentiles, teaching them, preaching to them. He writes them a letter instructing them and encouraging them and reminding them of the basic truths that he taught them and he preached to them during his time and his visits with them. A people that he had grown so fond of and in his departure was a very emotional scene as you'll find recorded in the book of Acts when he had, when he had, reminded them or he he informed them that his departure was at hand and, and he knew that he would never see them again. How could a church that was given so much, a church with such a background, a church with such a direct ministry from the Apostle Paul, would ever lose their enthusiasm and you would think that they would forever be enthused and passionate and love with God and their Savior who had given them so much? You would think that, would you not? If you're leaning toward that mindset, we we need to stop and reconsider for just a moment. Because somehow in the course of time, somehow in the course of events, somehow in the course of their daily living, somehow in the process of going through life as they knew it, in that day, their enthusiasm and their zeal and their love began to slip away. Their passion for the things of God and for the service of Jesus Christ begin to slip through their fingers. Their enthusiasm, their love and passion for Jesus Christ and the gospel had begun to dwindle and dwindle away. In fact, Jesus in his letter to the seven churches of Asia, Ephesus was the very first church that he mentioned here and i go there just for the sake this morning of clarification where john is on the Isle of patmos and he is in the spirit on the lord's day and the lord wants to get a message to the literal seven churches of asia which we realize they're applicable for the church today but he has a message that he wants to send to them and i want you to notice i don't know what has happened with the history of the church at ephesus between the time of Paul's departure, and this time when the Lord finds it necessary to send them a word of admonition about their passion, about their love, and about their enthusiasm for him and for what he represents. Amen. Oftentimes in our human nature, things that we get involved in that are new and fresh, we go at them with a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of excitement and a lot of passion until the newness wears off and then we no longer, you know, we, we just don't have that drive and that zeal and that, and that enthusiasm that we once had. Now, I know I'm not the only one that, that, that goes through that. This spring, my wife bought me a new riding tractor for taking care of our yard. I had it out every Saturday morning. Whether the yard need cut or not. Because it's a John Deere. That's all I need to know. If the yard didn't need cut, I waxed the tractor. But the newness is kind of wore off. Now the yard needs mold and I won't get it out. That's the way we are with humans. You know, we we go at something and we something's new and Oftentimes, that's the way we are in relationships. Uh-oh. I, I, I won't stay here long because I'll get in trouble. But <clears throat> well, that's the way we are. We, it's something new. It's something exciting. We, we, we have a new friend. We have somebody that we can confide in, and we're excited about it. We're enthused about it. God is blessing, and He's doing all these great things. And, but somehow, over time, it begins to become just old stuff. So Jesus, through the Apostle John, sends a word of admonition to the church at Ephesus. A church that Paul describes as being at the pinnacle, at the top of their relationship with Jesus Christ. A church that was so in love with him, he made reference to them often and how God blessed them and used them. And the Lord says that he has some things to say to them the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. He said, look, church at Ephesus, I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. I know that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say that they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And I I know that you have persevered and have patience, and you have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. I, I, he says, I recognize all of these things about you, church at Ephesus. I, I acknowledge this and I commend you for these things and for, I commend you for your labor and I commend you for your patience and I commend you that for the fact that you cannot bear those that are evil and that you've tested those who say they're apostles and are not and you've found them liars. I commend you for all of this stuff. But he said, I have one thing I need to talk to you about. He said, nevertheless, in all of this, in all of the good, in all of this that you have done, he said, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Can I interpret that in more down-to-earth language in which we live today? They had lost their enthusiasm and their passion for the things of God. They were going through the motion." They were still preaching the truth. They were still preaching Jesus Christ. They were still wavering. They were still working and they were still testing those who were claiming they were apostles and they were still perseverance and they still had patience, but they just did not have the love that they once had for Him. They had not gone out and committed some atrocious act or some sin. They had not allowed immorality to filter its way into the church they had not allowed false prophets to make their way in they had not allowed false teaching to be spread from their from their community but they just simply did not have that zeal and that enthusiasm and that love that they once had when they first fell in love with him how many of you here today think that you really feel the same measure of excitement and zeal and enthusiasm for God that you did when you first met Him at the foot of an old rugged cross. That's what I thought. Because time, events, circumstances have a way of taking their toll on our love and our enthusiasm and our excitement for who we are And for what we are. They had done nothing. Amiss and sin. They simply. Lost their first love. The church. Hadn't denied the Lord Jesus Christ or his spirit. They simply lost their enthusiasm. Perhaps with them as well as you and I. It would serve well for us to take heed to the words of the Apostle Peter when he said, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. I am by no means this morning suggesting that we pull in a shell like hermits and we don't live and work and we interact with the community and with society. But I am suggesting to you today that we need to take a real close look and as brother david mentioned in the class this morning we need to allow god to search our heart and see if we're not allowing some things to take precedence over our love and enthusiasm for the things of god amen by no means this morning am i saying anyone has thrown in the towel and anyone's ready to give up i'm simply saying i wonder where the passion is that we may have once known in our relationship with jesus christ And please don't misunderstand, I'm not talking about a bunch of emotional hype. I'm talking about a true heartfelt passion and enthusiasm and excitement because Jesus Christ lives and abides in me. He lives and abides in our church and the creator of all the universe has made his habitation among you and I and the innumerable company of angels go with us each and every day. How can we not be excited about such a relationship? A relationship in which we did not have to work for. A relationship which we did not have to die for. We did not have to sacrifice anything for. We just had to accept it and receive it. Hallelujah. I observe the musicians up here often. I'm thrilled when I see the passion in their giving of themselves and their playing of their musical instruments. You can't do that effectively without doing it with passion, out of love. Amen. Have we lost our passion? Is God God as exciting to you today as He was 10, 15, 20, 30, some of us 40 and 50 years ago? Hallelujah. Would you stand? I couldn't help but notice the passion by some in our praise and worship this morning. But on the same token, I couldn't help but notice, in some instances, the lack of passion. Where is the passion and the enthusiasm and excitement that we once knew? Maybe you still have that. I'm not suggesting that you don't. But if you don't, I challenge you today to refresh your relationship with Jesus Christ. I invite you to renew your love affair with the God who loves you more than life itself. With a God who without hesitation, without reservation, without second thought, marched up the streets of Jerusalem, bearing his cross, to an old Golgotha's hill laid himself on that old rugged tree and gave his life so we could enjoy the pleasure of that relationship with Almighty God. Because prior to that we had not a chance not a ghost of a chance of ever knowing a relationship like we know with Him today. So I challenge you, I invite you, don't let that relationship grow cold and indifferent and second place. Make Him number one above all things. Keep that relationship alive and fresh. Stir up the gift that is in you. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And understand, all he asks is your response and your love affair to be committed to him and to him alone. So this morning as we sing, I invite you to come. If you feel like you need to renew your relationship, these altars are open. And no better place do I know of. And to come here, we will pray with you. Someone will pray with you. All of us will pray with you. If you're here and you've never committed to a relationship with Jesus Christ, I invite you to do so. I invite you to taste and see that the Lord is gracious. It will be the best thing you have ever done. I ask you one last time, have we lost our passion? I love you. I love you because Let's sing it one more time and then we'll pray. Sing it once again. Hallelujah. bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for your presence, your power, and your glory that has permeated this place today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the relationship that you have given to us that we can have with eternal God, that we can enjoy the blessings and the privilege of having your power and your presence in our life, that we can live through you. I pray that the words that have been spoken here this morning will not lie dormant in the heart of any one individual, but Lord, that they would germinate and grow and challenge us to ever draw nearer unto you. We love you today. We worship you and praise you with excitement and with fervor and enthusiasm. You first loved us and gave your life as a ransom that we could have life and have it more abundantly. So I pray this morning. That the words that have been spoken here, not only in this message, but in our Bible class, will permeate each heart and each mind, and they will not be forgotten. But Lord, they will generate and they will grow and they will, oh God, challenge us day by day and moment by moment. And we'll give you the praise and thanks for it all. It is in Jesus' name that we ask it today. Hallelujah. And everyone said amen. Amen. Remind you, service tonight at 6 p.m.? Invite you to come back, you're dismissed. Thank you there.